0: This is the Horse Radio Network. You're listening to the Athletic Equestrian Riding in College podcast. I'm your podcast host, Sally Batten, and I spent over 35 years coaching collegiate equestrian teams. Want to ride like a varsity athlete? Sally Batten's book, The Athletic Equestrian, is now available to order. Whether competing in the show ring or riding at home on the trail, every rider wants to be more secure and balanced in the saddle and effective with their aids. This innovative guide uses highly effective exercises honed over Coach Sally's 35-year coaching career to develop your athleticism on horseback. This proven rider training system will sharpen position and vastly improve your skills in the saddle. Order now at www.athleticequestrian.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Athletic Equestrian Riding in College podcast. I am your podcast ho- coach. I am your pro- podcast host, <laughs> uh, Sally Batten, and I want to introduce you to today's coach interview, I'm getting a little mixed up here, Um, uh, Lindsay Yinger, who is the head coach of the Otterbein University uh, equestrian team, which is located in Westerville, Ohio, outside of Columbus. And uh, Lindsay began her teaching career in 2002 while earning her degree in veterinary technology. And going on to work for Dr. Bill Patterson, an internationally recognized FEI lameness veterinarian. Uh, she works for Otterbine, but her her main gig is that she has uh, Lindsay Yinger Show Stables, which was established in 2006, where she continues her own riding career and trains her students, horses, and IEA team, and has led them to numerous regional zone, and national championships and awards. So in addition to that, as I said, she has coached Otterbein University since 2010, leading the college team to many titles in the region, zone, and nationally. So welcome to the podcast, Lindsay.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So let's start out today. Uh, I always want to find out about the coaches and, and how they got to where they are, but let's start out today talking about Otterbein Equestrian. So um, I also want you to talk about the facility and the program. And just so just kind of do your do your thing. If you were at a presentation and you're talking about Otterbein Equestrian, just talk about everything from beginning to end.
1: So I started coaching for Otterbein about 12 years ago. I originally came in as an adjunct teacher for some of the upper level students and uh, was not yet the coach at that time. Um, Around that time, Otterbein had been given a fabulous grant um, from an alum and we were able to build a large equestrian center. Um, at the Equestrian Center, we offer equine science, equine management, some other equine programs, including veterinary technology. Um, and when that program, um, when those programs kicked off, and and uh, we had this new Equestrian Center, uh, um, it's a huge. It was a huge upgrade to what Otterbein was before. I'm from the area originally, so I had had a relationship okay. with some of the folks um, that were around and, and, you know, worked and taught for Otterbein and whatnot. I had went, um, when I was a very young professional, I had went over and schooled IHSA horses for them and a few things like that in the past. Um, so i had had a relationship with them and I had already had a very successful IEA team in the area, but as this new facility kind of, um, you know, took off and whatnot, they, they really wanted to get a little more serious with the equestrian team and, um, Um. you know, try to Try to get that going in a in a good quality direction, and and we had always had relatively decent instructors and whatnot, but I just think that uh, we had the availability to have more horses and more lessons, and you know just all those kinds of things to make it a, a, a little more um, serious, if you will. Okay. So I started teaching there, and it started out I did uh, one afternoon, couple hours uh, a week on Mondays, and then. The next at that point in time we were still on quarters so then the next quarter I did a little more and then the next quarter I did a little more right
0: until, as how it happens right <laughs> yeah
1: as it goes um, yeah. and so I ended up teaching the um, majority of the day on Mondays and then also on Tuesday afternoons um, at Otterbein and I've done that for um, for years now so that's kind of my general schedule um as far as the team goes, we do have multiple teams at Otterbein. So that's okay. kind of an interesting part about um, the college itself. We do have an eventing team, which has been very successful. Um, and we also have a dressage team, which just won the national championship for the second time this year. Oh, nice. Um, and we do have a couple of different instructors that specialize in um, in their respective discipline. Um, so that's really cool about Otterbine as well. Um, our eventing coach is very well, um, very well decorated herself and has won some of the, uh, large, uh, national championships of mm-hmm. which I don't really know what they are because I don't do eventing, but, right, uh, but she's quite good. Um, and so she specializes in the eventing team and then we also have a dressage coach um, that is also quite, Julia Spat is the eventing coach. And then the dressage coach is Jennifer Roth, um, who is a well-decorated, um, dressage rider and judge herself. And she also has a farm in Columbus and kind of does a bit of what I do as far as coming in as an adjunct. Um, so they've really done a great job of putting together a great team. Um, the director of the program is Carrie Briggs. Um, she's kind of done a little bit of everything. So she's extremely nice. well-versed, yeah. um, Carrie and I have known each other for years and actually are, are quite good friends, um, always knew, known each other, but, uh, have become, you know, quite good friends through Otterbein. Um, and she and I now coach the team together and it's been that way for a good, I think six or seven years. It's, it's been the two of us coaching the team. Um, which has worked out wonderfully. And and she, we are very like-minded, you know, we are uh, driven as far as our goals, but at the same time, you know, the the atmosphere still needs to be fun. And a lot of our kids, you know, one of the things that people are sometimes confused about with Ottervine is we do have an equestrian program, but it's right. more equine science. And a lot of people really think that it's a riding program so that we're out here producing professional riders. And we really aren't, you know, a lot of our students are getting a nursing degree or a music degree or an accounting degree or some other kind of thing. And so, you know, the barn really is their relief more than their career. Um, It is their sport and their hobby a lot of the time. Now, certainly there have been some good professionals that have come out of our program um, as well. However, it, you know, it isn't the goal of the program. So we do try to keep it fun and we do try to keep it, um, you know, though competitive, you know, an atmosphere that can be enjoyable and not overly, you know, not, not take your, taking yourself too seriously, if you will. So, okay. um, so anyway, our, our, um, attitude about that is is similar. And, and so we all kind of get along very well and enjoy, um, the process and everybody kinda has their specialty and their own wheelhouse. Um, and then, you know, and then we have a few other supplemental instructors that also help out along the way that do some of the more beginner lessons and that kind of thing. So we have a lot of availability and opportunity because of the large amount of support that we have. Um, The facility is a total of about 52, there's 52 stalls at the facility. Wow. and about 35 to 38 of those are school horses at any Mm. given point in time the rest are private boarders um, that are part of the program we don't have any outside boarders that are there they either are student or faculty um and so we do have a few faculty horses and then the uh, remainder are student horses um the majority of the eventing kids either lease or own their own horse right Uh, so they they take up some of the stalls um for that particular thing, but but as I said, you know, all the borders are either um either faculty or um or students. So that's kind of the outline of of what the facility is like. Um there are classrooms on the facility, which is cool. Um it's on, work is with it on Ohio campus. State. It's on campus. It's just off of campus. It's just like, I mean it's it's bike rideable for sure. Okay. Um, I want to say it's like maybe within two miles. It's very close to campus. Okay still kind of within the city limits, if you will.
0: Okay. And is the is the IHSA team club or varsity?
1: It is club. It is okay. club.
0: And so are there costs involved for the students?
1: Yes, the costs are involved um, for the riders to ride. They the cost we try to do the best that we can uh cost wise. We do host a few IEA shows a year and whatnot, and we do have our team kids help with that. Um, and with that being said, we're able to use that as a fundraiser to help cover as many expenses as possible. But for the most part, the kids are responsible for their membership for IHSA and their entries. Um when we get to postseason and we start to have you know zone teams and that kind of stuff, uh, we do try to cover that within the um, equestrian department. Um, that part isn't exactly the part that I do, um, so I, I understand that there are different, uh, different. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? allotments and whatnot for, um, for the finances. But I do know that a lot of those IEA shows and and different things like that, that we put on do, uh, offset as many of the costs for the teams as possible.
0: And how often do they ride and do they have to pay for their practices or lessons or how do you, how do you work it?
1: So each team member is supposed to lesson two times a week to be on the team. Okay. Um, some of them lesson more for the most part, uh, for the most part, they do ride at least two days a week. Right. Um, and they do that in lessons. Now we do also have some practice rides available, um, as well that can be scheduled and whatnot. Those are not paid for. Um, the lessons are paid for. You schedule a lesson just exactly the same as you would schedule a class and okay. they're very inexpensive. And I'm going to, I'm, Kind of speaking out of turn because I'm not really sure, but I want to say the lessons are maybe $35 a piece. Okay. Um, So they're relatively inexpensive comparatively to mainstream writing. Mm -hmm. Um, But they do schedule that as if it's a lesson or, sorry, as if it's a class. And they don't necessarily get credits for it, but they do pay for it just the same as they pay for class with their tuition. So when you're paying your final tuition bill each semester, you're paying for your lessons as well.
0: Okay. So I'm assuming there's no riding scholarships, but um, how do you know anything about the uh, financial aid at Otterbein and if they have yeah. merit and all that stuff? Yeah.
1: Yeah. There are no riding scholarships. That is correct. There are uh, multiple, though, academic scholarships. There is only one percent of the Otterbein um, uh, student body that pays full tuition. So it's relatively, I shouldn't say easy, but it's, you know, it's relatively available to get, have financial aid, find scholarships, um, lots of merit-based scholarships, lots of other things available um, for kids to be able to do, to have sub supplement, et cetera. Um, You know, I... I'm told that, you know, it is a a relatively difficult school to get into just as far as like, if you're, if you're pulling a 2.0, you know, you're probably not so much going to get in. Um, But at the same time, because of that, I think it's very easy because we do have a lot of kids that are, you know, pretty, pretty good academically. It's pretty easy for them to get those merit-based scholarships.
0: Yeah. And how, how big is the school?
1: about 3,200 kids. And we do also have a master's program as well. So that's including the master's program.
0: Okay. And how many IHSA shows do you host each year?
1: Hosting wise, um, we, in our region, we show eight shows per year.
0: Um,
1: Of those eight shows, we usually have those go over four weekends of regular season. So there's two shows each weekend. Wow. Um, And there are three hosting facilities, basically. Um, So we host usually in the fall, like later part of the fall. Um, And so we do two shows, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. And then um, we typically have a fourth horse show venue that we attend as a region that is not necessarily someone that's in our region. So last year, and we'll probably do this again, uh, Miami University is no longer in our region. They were for years, but they are not now. Um, And they have a beautiful new facility. And so we have collectively as a region um, in the past hired them to host a horse show for us, oh, which nice. is really nice, honestly, yeah. to kind of get outside of our region um, right. and ride some other different horses and whatnot. the other nice thing that Miami has now is they have a new indoor arena, which was long awaited for them. Yes. And, um, yeah. you know, so it's a nice, I think it's a nice fundraiser for them as well, uh, in the same manner that we use the fundraisers. I think they're able to. Um, do the same. And it's a nice facility to go to because it is indoors. And obviously in Ohio, there are only so many, (laughs) so many months that you can utilize the outside. So, um, so I think that's what we're probably doing again this year. We just had a regional meeting. So that was kind of the plan that we're looking for, but we don't have those details nailed out perfectly yet. So three hosting facilities for six shows that are within the region. One, at Ohio, one weekend at Ohio State, one weekend at Ohio University, mm. one weekend at Otterbein. And then our fourth weekend is um, going to be ideally at Miami as long as we can get those details worked out. So we've done other things in the past and we've had a few other um, of the smaller schools chip in and host together. And, you know, we all do get along pretty well and work quite yeah. well together. And, you know, we've all brought horses and done collective um. Shows and whatnot. So we've done it many different ways. And, you know, in my time here, but that's kind of been the, the way that we've done it recently so that, you know, we have that additional facility and whatnot.
0: Right. And this yeah. is just a uh, curiosity because in past podcasts, I have talked about the point system and that riders uh, need to collect 36 points before moving up to the next uh, level. How does that work when you have a Saturday, Sunday show? Like, are, are you actually tallying the points on Saturday night? So that if somebody, okay, so tell exactly how that works.
1: So if I have a rider that has, let's say I have an intermediate rider that's going to be on the cusp of moving up to open, um, and they achieve that 36 point goal. And I know that I'm going into the horse show, um, with whatever, 34 points or something. Right. And I kind of have that a little bit on the radar. The way that I personally handle that, and we do have a point secretary on the team and stuff, so we all kind of keep track of that together okay. to double check right. each other and whatnot. Um, but we uh, kind of have that rider maybe highlighted or somehow, you know, a little mentally flagged as we're going into Saturday to say, you know, hey, if we achieve these points, you know, we need to make sure that we're paying attention to this. Typically what happens is whoever the hosting school is holds the access to the entry system and they usually will reopen the entry system at whatever four o'clock to six o'clock. Yeah, And then at that point, when they reopen the entry system, we can go in and we can adjust. So we might still have our, you know, same six jumping riders or whatnot, but maybe that jumping rider that just pointed in the open, I just need to switch her into a different class, even though that particular rider is still going to be one of the six that I'm jumping the next day. Or sometimes what I'll do is know that that's happening, recognize that that rider has now already qualified for regionals and maybe they don't really need to show that second day. And sometimes that happens as well that, you know, they get their qualified points and then maybe give that spot to someone else, um, the following day. So that's kind of how we handle that. But Um, It's been that way um, for my whole career uh, with coaching Otterbein that we've had the Saturday Sundays um, and it's been uh, a nice way. A lot of us do at Ohio State and Otterbein. We're very close together, so we do not need hotels. Um, But when you're doing some of the further shows, when we were going to Miami for a while at that time, um, we had Dayton in our area. That's far enough away what we would do is get on the bus at 5am on Saturday, make it to the horse show and then hotel on Saturday night and yeah. then be able to horse show Sunday um, as well. And so it made it kind of a little more streamlined for everybody, I think, financially. Right. Uh, most of the schools that we compete against are club sports, so um, in our region directly. So I think that that was something that kind of, you know, helped make that decision of doing the two day shows. right? Um, and then everybody kind of feels like you have one crazy weekend where you you know company's coming over, so you got to get everybody cleaned up and whatnot right and, uh, <laughs> right, and so at least it wasn't as many um weekends of you know of of you know sleepless and yeah. <laughs> and difficult yeah, yeah. and high right. intensity for the students and whatnot right um so that's kind of how that works
0: okay and and reminder to our listeners that miami. Is in Ohio, <laughs> Miami University of Ohio. Yeah. They are not driving to Florida for their horse shows. We're not going to Florida, Ohio.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Though that would be fun, that's yes. not where we're going, Miami, yeah. Ohio.
0: Yeah, different years when I was on the IHSA board and we were talking about reorganizing of zones and regions and stuff. And I said, oh, we could, we're in New Hampshire. Why don't we join the Florida region?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Right.
0: Yeah get out of there in the winter instead yeah, it, of, instead exactly. of horse showing in 10 degrees which had, exactly. has happened in the past.
1: Yeah. For
0: sure. So any um team successes that you want to brag about a little bit. You don't you don't have to get into names or anything but just what, you know, how how is the sure. team done as a team at Nationals and all that kind of stuff?
1: We, um, we have had a very good, so I have been at Otterbine for 12 years and I've been coaching, I believe must be nine now. Um, and the first year that we went to nationals was nine years ago. Yeah. Um, and that's the first time that Otterbein has ever taken a team to nationals. Um, and habitually, you know, we've done, uh, we've done well at nationals. We've gotten ribbons, um, the majority of our performances, Um, I think the best we've been, I think we were maybe tied for fourth one year before they changed the point system might've been fifth. Can't remember. Um, but either way, you know, we've had very good performances this past year at nationals. Uh, we have a lot of young students and because of COVID, you know, even a couple of the students that are juniors and seniors had never been to nationals. Right. Um, which was kind of like, I feel like I've been showing with this team for a good long time and they're like, no, we've never been to nationals. And I'm like, what? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. because of the COVID years, that's very true. Right. So, right. um, you know, this year we had a younger team at nationals, um, that hadn't had a lot of that experience. And I think, um, I think one of the things that we try to do to prepare for that is we do really enjoy going to the tournament of champions, um, that Jim puts on, uh, yeah. because it's kind of nice again, to compete outside of outside your region. Outside of your region, and, and, Totally. Yeah. And then, yeah. And in that case, um, with what Jim and Gwen put on, you know, even outside of the outside of the zone and typically quite a few of those teams that participate in that are usually your top, um, nationally ranked teams and whatnot. Right. So, um, so we've enjoyed that and that's given this team that's younger, a little more opportunity to kind of see what the competition looks like um, you know, cause competing outside of your region is a whole different ball game. That's right. Um, and if they, yeah. And if they don't get to do it much, then, you know, then, then they don't have that experience and therefore the confidence, I think, yeah. um, when it comes time. So right. trying to create different practices and, you know, like, like I just described the situation at Miami where we go and they see other kids riding and schooling and, you know, it's just really good to get outside of the box, if you will. And, and we, um, try to promote that as best we can. And and again, you know, it's a fun way to go compete and, right. and the kids really seem to enjoy it and they get a trail. We went to Savannah in uh, January this year. And so that oh, nice. was, you know, a nice break for everybody um, yeah. that was in Ohio. So and I fly up from Florida and meet them there. So nice. um, so that kind of worked out great as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so those are you know, th- those have all been good things. We have had quite a few national championships individually as well. We had one. Um win a class this year, I've had multiples more than I can count, um, that have won at nationals and we've been in the cashio in multiple years as well. And, um, you know, generally speaking, I just super enjoy the college team because, you know, all the kids that are there, they, they want to be there. They're doing it for themselves. You know, they really want to learn. Um, I also teach a lot of obviously younger students in my, in my regular life, um, but, you know, they're, these kids are a little older, they're ready to grasp the concepts, you know, they're ready to work. And when it comes to postseason, you know, by the time we get down to those kids that are eligible for postseason and are selected to be on some of the teams and whatnot, they're very, you know, they're very serious, although not right. too serious about themselves. But, um, you know, very serious about it. They put in a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, and that's refreshing for me as a teacher. I really do enjoy teaching the sport. Yeah, Um, I definitely have a passion for teaching. And so it's nice, you know, to, to have these kids really, you know, really want to do it. And, um, and as I said, you know, some of them are not involved really in, um, in equestrian life as a career and uh you know it is something that they just enjoy and and is their hobby and um right. so it's fun to you know it's fun to watch them progress and and succeed and most of them have done just that so that's been yeah, yeah. um the, the proudest part of I mean regardless of the ribbon that's been the proudest part for me right. is just that you know they have really worked hard um our horses are phenomenal too that yeah. is one of the other parts that I'm very proud of um, through a lot of personal connections, not just my own, but with all of our um adjunct staff as well as our um head of the department, Carrie. You know, some of the contacts that we have are amazing. Some of the horses that we get are amazing. I have left McClay Finals and put horses on my trailer that are being oh. donated to Auturvine straight out of McClay Finals. Oh my gosh. Um I did the same thing for the international derby finals last year out of Kentucky, put one on the trailer for that. And how ha- we just have some really super amazing donors, um, and some super horses that just, you know, maybe need a step down or, yeah. um, or the owners feel like they deserve to do that because they've had, you know, we just recently, um, are getting a donation that, has been doing the high juniors and it's just older. It just needs to step down and it doesn't need to jump meter 45 anymore. We're we're more than happy to have it, you know? Um, and, and so again, we're very lucky in the sense that we have good relationships and we have a phenomenal facility that makes those donors feel very comfortable, um, to send their horses to us and whatnot. So I'm also very proud of the horses that we have and, um, you know one of the other things that's super great about Otterbine is we do have a vet on staff um, because of our veterinary science classes and whatnot. we um are able to just you know able to provide a lot of the horses what they need um, because of that. So that's great. Um, and also, we really do follow through with what happens to them afterwards, too. Yeah. you know, we really do. Yeah you know, a lot of the horses end up going, I would say over half of the horses end up going to a student that fell in love with them. Right. And when they have had their time at Otterbine, and we try to retire them all before, you know, they're, they're or unsound they and, yeah. and yeah, before they have to exactly. Yeah. And um, you know, and so they still have life as a trail horse or a lower level dressage horse or whatever. And, um, and so I, you know, I'm very proud of, making sure, you know, making sure that these horses have a good end to their career. That's very respectful. And, you know, we've had quite a few horses go on to be, you know, IEA's favorite horse and yeah, you know, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I'm very proud of the horses that we have as well. So
0: that's great. I I would say those are my brags. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I was like that at Dartmouth too. I, you know, I knew where the majority of the horses were and and I yeah. still get updates you know yes. <laughs> yeah. so and so is 35
1: now yeah it makes it. you feel so good to yeah. know that you know because you love them I mean yeah. they they do a lot for us and, and right. our team and the, many of the horses are there exceedingly longer than the students are right and right. um right and you know there's a couple that have been there longer than me yeah um but right. they're just you know they're wonderful animals to so let us do what we do with them and and I uh, am I share that thought and mentality with everyone in the department. And so I, you know, I love that part about the job too, that we're all very much, you know, the horses come first and the kids do also share that mentality. So, you know, it's nice to, nice to know that that is kind of how we're based and keeps everybody very grounded and the horses sound and happy and all of that. Yeah.
0: So let's, let's, uh, change gears a little bit, talk a little bit about, uh, you and how you started riding and where, and that's, it's, at, uh, you, I think you said in the area. So just talk a little yeah. bit about you for a minute.
1: So I started riding at a relatively young age. Um, I think I was probably around eight the first time that I rode. And, um, I actually, my father and I, um, went to a trail riding place to rent okay. horses to ride. Cause I wanted to ride uh, so bad and we had no idea how to do it. And so we did that actually, on a vac- I was like eight. Okay. And we did that on a vacation actually. And I did not grow up very affluent in any way. I mean, okay. we definitely had to watch our pennies like, yeah. so here we are at this trail running place on vacation. And my dad's like, okay, we can do it once, you know? So we do it once. Yeah. And- and I'm like, oh my God, this is the best thing that has ever happened to me. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. was just so fun. Yeah. I don't even know if I trotted that day. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was just like, but it was exactly what I wanted. And so the next day, I'm like, can we go back? And dad's yeah. like, like, no, Lindsay, we don't have enough money to do it. And I think at the time, it's $25 a person or something. Yeah. Yep. And uh, he's like, we don't have enough money to do it. And so anyway, we start chatting with, the folks, we, we just came out to pet the horses and bring, you know, bring some carrots and whatever. And, um, we started chatting with the folks that own the facility and they're like, well, you know, we'll, uh, you know, you can come clean stalls and then you can ride. And here I am on vacation the next day out there. Nice. Cleaning stalls Nice and they let me ride. And, uh, anyway, we ended up becoming fast friends with these folks and, and ended up going back there subsequently years later to, um, to say, you know, say our hellos and whatnot. But, um, we got back home and I was like, I gotta do that. I mean, I absolutely have to do that. So we found a place local to do that. And for the first couple months, you know, every two weeks or something, we'd, kind of try to save up the money to to go do that I was I was now like you know maybe 10 by the time that all of this had transpired and yeah um my you know my dad would try to facilitate that as much as possible and my mom too my parents were divorced growing up um and my mom was very supportive but absolutely terrified of horses yes so and still really is quite quite uncomfortable around them. So though she comes and watches, she watches from afar. Um okay. anyhow, so my mom was supportive but not present uh during the riding. What's been going? So yeah. um, you know, my dad would really try to make that happen for me. And um and so, you know, of course we're like, can we volunteer? Can we do anything? You know, and yeah. And (laughs) they were like, no, you're too young. You're too young. So I don't know, maybe like six months of this. I'm 10 years old. They're like, you know what? You guys are pretty cool. You can start volunteering.
0: Okay. And
1: so we volunteered there and it got to the point where dad would pick me up from school and drop me off every day there. And that went on for probably a year. And, um, and that you know the place was maybe fifteen minutes or so from my house, so that's kind of how that went. the The folks there were very adamant about school and whatnot, and right. then I fell in love with the horse there. Yeah, um and he had a very long mane, and he <laughs> would go in a western saddle, and I would uh, jump over any tree I could find out in the woods, and yeah. in a western saddle. And so at that point, I was like, oh, you know, I really need, I really want to do some jumping things. And so we found a barn, um, that was on the other side of town and went and took a couple lessons. And at that point, you know, we thought that you took a lesson and you learned the craft and then that was it. Like you were done. Yeah, yeah. We didn't right. really understand that it takes more than a lifetime to learn this yes. sport. Yes. Um, and so that kind of began, you know, my career if you will in the hunter jumpers um it turns out I went and took a couple of lessons there um that particular trainer was like oh my god these people are never gonna like they're never gonna be able to spend the, the amount of money that it takes you know yeah, she tried yeah. to get rid of me right. the first two lessons she said she tried to weed me out and she's like you just kept coming back <laughs> I ended up being a working student there okay um However, before I was a working student there, um, I was saving money to buy this horse that I fell in love with that okay. was, you know, had his Western main, but he could jump and he jumped well, actually. Yeah. Um, now looking back at the pictures, I was like, boy, did I get lucky? Cause he actually really did jump very uh... well. Um, but anyway, uh, I walked in one day and they said, well, we sold Sprite. And I was like, oh my God, I mean, I was devastated. And he says, the owner of the barn says, do you want to talk to the people that bought him? And I said, yeah. And then he pointed to my dad. I (laughs) just got chills. (laughs) So my, my dad bought him for $500 and, um, he had trained my dad, uh, Fixed is a car mechanic, and he fixed their car and traded them and Aww. whatever. Anyway, Aww. it turned out to be the greatest horse there ever was, and um, he ended up. I went on, ended up taking that horse to the Hunter Jumper Barn. Yeah, um, showed him. Did you, did know, you pull his okay. mane? <laughs> oh yeah, P- learned how to pull a mane right away when I yeah. got there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, ended up taking him all over the place, and he was the greatest horse. Ended up selling him, I think, four different times in the barn, and I owned that horse until he was thirty years old. Oh, so, good. Good. Yeah. So anyway, and at the end of his life, he um, actually was doing a therapeutic riding program, and good. it was just like the staple there and
0: yeah, whatnot.
1: So anyway, the greatest horse there ever lived. His name was Sprite. Uh, um, but that's how I got started. So that okay. was kind of crazy, and then and then that went right into working student, right, kind of stuff. By the time I was fifteen, I knew I wanted to be a professional. Um, okay. and I had, you know, and only you made been doing Hunter jumper. Yeah. yeah. And I had only been knowing the Hunter jumper stuff for quite some time at that point and learned how to do everything, braid, body clip, you know, right. by 15, I was braiding and body clipping professionally for money for, for my stable. Um, right. and then was a working student for them and went to college, turned professional when I was 19, um, under my trainer. Um, her name was Alicia Metcalf. She's from Columbus as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and so worked under Alicia for a good long time, started going to Florida in the winter time to kind of advance my education. Mm. Um, and then knew that, you know, I really wanted to do this at the top level. And I had had some exposure because then, you know, you either showed kind of locally and it was C circuit or you went to Kentucky or Detroit, or, you know, there were not so many options if you will. So, you know, six times a year, you went to a real big bar show. And you supplement it in between. And that's kind of how I grew up. Um, And so, you know, as things were evolving, and I got to, you know, go see Wellington and see some of that stuff, I really knew I wanted to kind of be on that level, if you will, if I was going to be doing this uh, professionally. And so I just worked to make that happen.
0: Oh, that's great. And uh, in our final couple minutes here, um, I ask everyone, what do you like to do besides horses?
1: Um, I have no idea because I don't think I do (laughs) much besides horses. Um, I, (laughs) I have two daughters, um, and so they show as well. And so we do spend a lot of time traveling together and whatnot, but we collectively as a family, including my husband really love dogs. We have five dogs. Okay. Um, and we spend a lot of time with our dogs. We have, um, a couple puppies in the last couple of years. So that's been fun. We love to Mm -hmm. rescue. So everything we have is some kind of a mutt. Um, So I would say, you know, my more among my more favorite things are either spending time with my dogs. And the other thing I really love to do is I really love concerts and live music. So when I have the opportunity to break away and do that, I, I definitely enjoy that as well. So I'm um, with you on that one. Yeah, definitely. Well, so. thank,
0: thank you, Lindsay, so much for joining me on the podcast and telling me more about you and about Otterbein Equestrian Team. Thank you for listening to the Athletic Equestrian Podcast. If you'd like more information on this podcast or any of our other podcasts, you can contact me at athleticequestrian at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by Jack Boyata and the music is by Kitcher.